Hey, Madison. All right, we're going to do the Christmas according to, that means I started, Christmas according to Matthew. Well, what we're going to do is we're going to read through the uh, genealogy. Um, actually, we're going to go all the way to, to verse 25 and we'll break and then move into chapter six or chapter 2 when we get down to the to Magi. Bear with me on some of these names because they are rough. I'm going to get Paisley in here to help. Uh, verse 1 says, The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Judas and his brethren, and Judas begat Phares and Zara of Thamar, and Phares begat Eshram, and Eshram begat Aram, and Aram begat Amdiab, and Amdiab begat Nason, and Nason begat Salmon, and Salmon begat Boaz of Rachab, and Boaz begat Obed of Ruth, and Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David the king, and David the king begat Solomon of her that had been the wife of Urus, and Solomon begat Robam, and Robam begat Abia, and Abia begat Asa, and Asa begat Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat begat Joram, and Joram begat Oziaz, is that about where she gets mixed up? Thought about that, yeah, I see why. And Oziaz begat Jotham, and Jotham begat Achaz, and Achaz begat Ezekiel, and Ezekiel begat Manas, and Manasses, and Manasses begat Ammon, and Ammon begat Josias, Josias begat Jeconius, Jeconus, something, and his brethren about the time they were carried away to Babylon. And after they were brought to Babylon, Jeconius begat Celestial, and Celestial begat Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel begat Ab, uh, Abia, Abud, <laughs> begat Elkim, and Elkim begat Azor, and Azor begat Sadak, and Sadak begat Achim, and Achim begat Eliud, Eliud begat Eleazar, and Eleazar begat Nathan, and Nathan begat Jacob, I, I know y'all are laughing at me, and Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. So all the generations of Abram, Abraham to David are 14 generations, and from David unto the carrying away into Babylon are 14 generations, and from the carrying away into Babylon unto Christ are 14 generations. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on the wise, and as, as when as his mother Mary was a spouse to Joseph, before they came to, together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto the Mary, unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Jesus, uh, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord, by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us, from sleep did as the then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord 
had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. That's a lot. You ever wonder why preachers don't preach out of Matthew 1 much? <laughs> it's just a bunch of Moses, and that's just the way I see it. I can't pronounce it, call him Moses, and move on. So that's a, that's a little history of the, the genealogy of Christ. It's, pr- it's pretty neat, and um, and we'll, we'll talk more about it here in just a minute, but um, I think it's very important that that we do study that um, over time, uh, the history, and, and we're going to look at, at why Matthew put the genealogy in there, and it has to do um, with Jewish tradi- tradition, because that's who Matthew was, and that's who Matthew uh, was preaching to. Matthew was um, trying, Matthew was trying to get a hold of the Jews, and then you've got uh, Luke getting a hold of the Gentiles, and they're trying to reach different people, um, and so the account is different from different perspective from each one of them. So this guy starts out and he says, "This is again Matthew." He says, "My name is Levi Bar Alphaeus. That's Matthew's name. Most folks just call me Matthew. I had the honor of writing what has become known as the Gospel of Matthew. This title was added to the second century, but the Holy Spirit is the one who moved me and breathed life into the words." Again, um, I heard something, we talk about the gospel, we talk about the four gospels, I heard something the other day that really moved me, I love Isaiah, I love read the book of Isaiah, I love preach out Isaiah, I love um, the prophecy in Isaiah when it comes to Jesus, and Isaiah is considered the fifth gospel, I never heard that. And I was talking to one of those, one of the preachers this week, and he he said it jokingly. Uh, he said, "You know, I, I love to preach at Christmas out of the fifth gospel." I said, "Do tell, what is that?" And he said, "Isaiah." I said, "Oh, he's kind of right. I mean, if you think about it, it's talking about the prophecy of Jesus and him coming, and uh, it's not really part of the gospel. But I thought that's a pretty way, to, pretty good way to to call it, or a pretty good term for that. It's the the fifth gospel, and so Matthew." Um, says here that uh, that's why he wrote it in the third person. He never used his name as the author. Matthew not one time referred to himself as the author of Matthew. I thought that was pretty good. He, he wanted the credit to go where the credit was due, and that's back to God. Because God is the one that encouraged him to write this. God inspired him. But it's not just Matthew. God inspired us all 66 books from end to amen, or end to maps, however you want to do it. He inspired the entire thing from beginning to the end. So no one should want to take credit, and it was not these uh, men that pinned this down that actually put the titles on it. That's something that happened late, way down in years. These guys have been dead and gone for years before they actually gave titles to these books. Uh, so Matthew didn't want to take credit for it, and I'm pretty sure Mark and Luke and John and Paul, anyone that wrote in the New Testament or the Old Testament would not want credit for what they've done they would give that back to God. But I never realized that Matthew never referred to himself as the author of this. Um, he says that actually there aren't four Gospels. There's one Gospel presented by four different writers. That's another good way to look at it. There's one Gospel, four different views. And, he, and he's right. Uh, this is the Gospel. This is uh, the four that we're going to look at is three that we'll look at. But the four Gospels that are written in the Bible are one gospel, four different views. I don't know how many people's in here. Say ten. 
there would be ten different views from our point as well. That we would all we all have our own testimony. We all have our time when we met Jesus or He met us, and so we'd all have a different account of our meeting with Jesus. These four had the same thing. That four different accounts of their meetings with Jesus. Um, so everything's going to be pinned down differently. Um, I like this. He said, uh, I heard there's a lot of confusion today about Christmas. Some ignore Emmanuel and are all wrapped up in uh, consumerism. Others seem to be at war with it. I understand that the atheists have put a billboard in several cities with a picture of a young girl in, in a Santa hat saying these words, and this is true. Dear Santa, all I want for Christmas is to skip church. I'm too old for fairy tales. And that's true. I actually Googled that, and you can go online and you'll find that. There are billboards uh, out there. Um, I read a few years ago where in Florida, one of the counties in Florida uh, allowed the atheists to put up a um, like a shadow box. What, what Hebrew doing at school? But the shadow box? Some kind of the project. You was got a box. Yeah. So they allowed the atheists or that satanic cult that's down there. They denied them one year and then allowed them to come in the next year to decorate for Christmas. They're Xmas. They refused to call it Christmas. And it was an angel falling into hell. And it said happy holidays from the atheist, whatever they're called, the satanic cult there. They allowed them to do And the Christians didn't, they didn't do a thing. They didn't boycott it or nothing. They just sat back and let it happen. But yet the year before when the Christians put their thing in there, whatever it was, I think it was just a, a nativity. The atheists were all over boycotting it. So we're we're in a we're in a pickle right now in America, and uh, not in America, but U.S. in general, uh, or not the U.S. but uh, the church in general. We're in a we're in a bind. We don't want to stand for Christmas. You want to drive me crazy with on the way up here. Uh, her radio says Xmas across. You want to drive me? You, you take Christ out of Christmas. You put an X in there, and I will come unglued. I'm going to put a piece of black paper across the screen <laughs> if you want to keep listening right now. <laughs> Fairy tales. That's what it said. Dear Santa, all I want for Christmas is to skip church. I'm too old for fairy tales. Fairy tales. It ain't no fairy tale. This is n- th- there's no fairy tale here. What Matthew wrote, Matthew wrote, Matthew was with Jesus. That's the best part. Matthew saw Jesus. He spoke to Jesus. He he fellowshiped with him. He worshiped with him. He watched him perform miracles. He done all this stuff with Jesus. This ain't no, no fairy tale. So I, I don't know where this comes from, where people think this is a fairy tale. Um, but he changed Matthew's life. He changed Mark's life and John's life, Luke's life, my life, your life. He changed it. So I know this ain't no fairy tale. I've never read a fairy tale. The gr- with the girls, I've never read a fairy tale that changed my life. It's not what they wrote for. Uh, as a child, tales. But what I read here has changed my life. What I read prior to being saved changed my life. It made me want to do better. But then after I was saved, it's changed my life because I still want to do better. I want to I want to I want to continue to do as good as I can, and it gives me instructions on how to strive to be more Christ-like. Um, so this ain't no fairy tale. This ain't this is not sixty-six fairy tales put together. This is one big book about God and His Son, and I—I I don't know why. I don't know why people think this would be a fairy tale. 
he keeps going. He says, since I wrote a pretty long account, especially compared to Mark's writing, I'm going to give you my perspective on Christmas. I'm going to give you the facts, not a fairy tale. And the fact is that Satan will spend eternity in hell because Jesus crushed him on the cross. And then he pretty much sums that up for us. We know that. Uh, we won't go very far past uh, chapter 2 here. But I think we all know the outcome. We've studied Revelation and Daniel enough the past year or so. I think we know the outcome of Satan and where he where he's going to spend his time and, and who's going to win that battle. Uh, Matthew says that he's going to focus on the highlights of this most holy event that happened on the most holy night. But to do that, you need to know a little bit about the entire book. Um, have you all ever read through the book of Matthew? Has, has the church studied it any? It, that may be something to consider for our next one, is actually just break down the four Gospels. I guess we got that. we got Paul. We could look at the journey to Paul. Um, but to read through the book of Matthew, that would be a really good thing. To read through the book of Matthew and the book of Luke, like I said earlier, and to do it before Christmas, that would be a, a good thing um, for each person to do, to get a better understanding of Matthew's view on, on Jesus and what he what he's seen and was a part of. Um said I focused on some of the details surrounding his birth and then I ended with my or with his death and resurrection the two bookends are the womb and the tomb and that's the way Matthew does it he starts with the womb he starts with the birth and then he ends with the tomb which would be the resurrection uh, and I like I like the way whoever wrote I can't remember exactly who wrote this but that's the best way to think of it the way Matthew wrote it from the womb to the tomb Said, I, as I read the other gospel accounts, it strikes me that the four of us emphasize different elements when it comes to the Christmas story. I stress the fulfillment of Old Testament scripture. Why? Because he's a Jew. I stress the fulfillment of Old Testament scripture and gave more attention to Joseph. Luke, on the other hand, wrote for the non-religious and helps us see Christmas through the eyes of Mary. Mark, who always seems in a hurry, actually skips Christmas and races ahead quickly to the cross, while John goes back to eternity past to show that the infant is really infinite. Um, while I use Mark for some of my material, are you aware that I'm the only gospel writer who mentions the church? In chapter 16, uh, I would record what Jesus said in response to Peter's faith. He says, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So we know we talked about later on Paul writes about the church. Luke writes about it in Acts. But Matthew is the only one in the four Gospels that talks about the church. And that's when they're over at Caesarea Philippi. And they're in that that cult. And where that cult is worshiping Pan, um, the fertility god. Jesus, I could see Jesus upset though. I mean, you've got... He goes in with his disciples into a group of people that should be worshiping the one true God and following Jesus, but he goes into this cult and they're worshiping Pan and other gods, energy gods around. And it probably fires Jesus up. I'll be honest with you, I could I could almost picture him I'm not sure he's probably borderline tossing tables when he gets there. Because they're they're bent for hell. Now it's Hades, they're talking about the gates of hell is, is not the hell, the literal hell, hell that we think about. Um, the gates of hell is a waterfall there at Caesarea Philippi, and that's where they were throwing babies in. Babies born, pitch them in. And it was a, it was an offering to the fertility god for a better crop, uh, 
and more cattle, more whatever they're growing over there. Um, and so Jesus goes in and and he's got no table to talk, but he, he's pretty upset. And that's where Matthew was there when he when he said that upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So he's saying that he's going to overthrow, and he did. He's going to be God. He's he's going to go in and he's going to stand his ground. And this is where I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail. So these little g gods will not prevail. Um, Matthew keeps saying. My book is like a bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, one early Christian leader said this. I love this. If you take notes on this stuff, remember this. In the Old Testament, the new is unfolded. In the New Testament, the old is unfolded. Think about it. In the Old Testament, the new is enfolded. In the New Testament, the old is unfolded. So he's building it up in the Old Testament, and then they roll it out in the New Testament. So they get they're getting it out. They're, they're telling, that's again, Isaiah. That's why I like Isaiah. They're infolding. They're getting things ready. They're rolling it up. They're getting it ready to present. And then it happens in Matthew's account, and he unfolds everything. I mean, he just lays it out. And, and Matthew knows it. Again, Matthew is a Jew, so Matthew's going to know this stuff. He knows the account. He's, re- he's probably got the Old Testament memorized. He knows prophecy. He knows what's been taught. He was taught. Before he knew his ABCs or whatever they had back then, he knew Old Testament. And he got to witness. Now, he didn't get to see the birth, but he got to witness after the birth. And he got to walk with what was prophesied. He got to walk with Jesus. And uh, so I'm sure that's, that's I bet that was exciting for him. Better have been, better been. He says, I've been told that no other account so closely links the Old Testament in the New Testament, I guess I've never really counted, but I quote from almost every book of the Old Testament, and he does. Um, if you go through, and that's a, that's a good thing to look at, is to go through Matthew, the book of Matthew. Just go through the book of Matthew, and he quotes Old Testament throughout. Now, it might be worded a little bit different. i got a couple examples here. I went through and pulled uh, two out. Um, but he just, he, he knows, Matthew knows his stuff. Isaiah seven fourteen tells us, uh, that the Messiah would be born to a virgin, that his name would be Emmanuel. Now listen to what Matthew wrote in Matthew one twenty three. He says, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Isaiah, oh, I didn't mark it. Let me get back here. Isaiah 7.14. All right, there it is. It says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. So he's quoting, um, this again, Isaiah 7, Isaiah 7 is, a, is Emmanuel's promise, so that's prophecy. So Matthew quotes it. He's not, um, he's not John Madden. He's not, he's not stating the obvious like John Madden used to be. You ever seen, remember John Madden? You remember that, James? If he'd just catch that football, he'd have a touchdown. Thank you, John Madden. I did not know that. I've watched football all my years and never understood that. That's not Matthew. Matthew's not stating obvious. He's not Captain Obvious over here. He is quoting Old Testament, and he is he said it, he knows it, and he's, I think he's excited when he writes that down. He's actually pinning down things that 
he learned growing up, and then he gets to say, hey, and it's fulfilled now. I'm with the one that Isaiah prophesied for, or about, I'm with him now. It's, it's fulfilled. Uh, Micah 5, 2, uh, it, it's pretty clear that Christ would be born in Bethlehem. Matthew 2, 5 through 6, Matthew wrote down uh, what the religious experts knew to be true when they declared where the king was to be born. It says, And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. That's also why he, he spent so much time in chapter 1 listing the genealogy. And we're going to talk about the genealogy now. Uh, because genealogy for a Jew is so important. I mean, it is um, a family, um, and it has a lot to do with, um, well, let me just, I don't want to skip ahead of it. Um, most of the Gentiles skip right over these hard to pronounce names in his opening chapter. But genealogy <clears throat> are very important to those who were raised in Jewish faith. I've never heard a preacher preach on any of the begats. What happens to us when we get to Deuteronomy? We skip it. We can't pronounce it, so we skip it. It don't matter if you butcher it like I did just a while ago. You still need to read through it. Uh, a lot of people say, well, I read through the Bible, but I just skipped the begats part. So you didn't really read through the Bible if you skipped it. I don't care if you call it Moses. Just You need to be reading it. Um, but there's so much importance in their, their lineage. There's a lot of importance in the lineage. Uh, one of the things I found says genealogies uh, were rec records of family history and were often memorized because ancient people did not have access to written records. They didn't have a way to write this stuff down. All they had was a tablet and a chisel, and most of them couldn't even write or read. So they had to memorize their family history. Um, my great-grandpa, he was 101 when he died, and he would go back to his, grandpa, uh, to his daddy Ben and then to, to Ben's dad, and I don't know who. I didn't write it down. I can go back to Ben, and that's it. My great-great-grandpa was Ben. That's all I know. I didn't memorize my family tree. And I'm not so sure the ancestry's got all my stuff right. It, it looks a little funny. Maybe I, didn't, maybe I didn't spit in the cup enough or something. Maybe I was supposed to pee in the cup. And I, I don't know. But, you know, that's the genealogy for them was very important, and they, that was... One of the other thing that they've done well, number one, they studied Old Testament scripture. They loved their scripture. They loved God. And number two, they loved their families. Uh, and Jews are still the same way today. Jews are just the same. They love their family. Not, now, they've got ways of writing things down now. They don't have to memorize it, but they still love their family, and they're, they're a close-knit bunch. Something else that um, I found, not everything I'm reading here is what this guy wrote. I've piled a bunch of stuff in here. Genealogies were used to decide inheritance rights, to make uh, land allotments, and organize censuses. Uh, and then that's why Luke said in Luke 2, 3, and all went to be taxed, every one to his own city. So Joseph traced his heritage from David, and his family was from Bethlehem, the city of David. So that's, again, that's one of those things that we don't think about when, when we read that in Luke, and all went to be taxed, every one to his own city. We don't think about that. There's a reason that they went to Bethlehem because that's the city of David, and that's, that's that lineage coming back. Now, something else to do with genealogy, priests were determined by genealogy. Now, this is, I think we all know this. They had to be from the tribe of Levi in the house of Aaron. They had to be. No one else could be a priest. No one else could be, uh, I'm not 
want to say that holy, but no one could be that high ranked if they weren't from the tribe of Levi. Um, and I'm I'm very thankful that so that he is chose, he chose that tribe. He chose us, God's chosen tribe, the Levites. Um, and I'm thankful nowadays that we don't have to go by that, you know, because you wouldn't find many preachers whose daddy was a preacher, whose grandpa was a preacher. You'd be right in line to be a preacher, Gary. <laughs> if we kept that lineage going, if your dad was a preacher, then you'd be a preacher, and then Jerry would be a preacher, and then I don't know they'd have to adopt because Sage couldn't be no preacher. <laughs> so, huh? Have Bill Jean got that? Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll just let her have that. But so they had to know their heritage. They got. They had to know, and they all knew what tribe they come from. So if they were a Levite, they still do. They do. You trace it back. They know where they came from. Yep. Um, so Matthew, his lineage goes back to Levi. But uh, to Levi, but we won't talk about that right now. We'll talk about it a little bit later. But I did not realize that Matthew's lineage is it did go back to Levi as well. Um, royal succession and the credentials of the Christ are linked to King David's lineage, and that's over in First Kings eleven. Um, so again. That we know we bred it, and so we knew what lineage he was going to come out of, Jesus was going to come out of. Uh, it was important for Matthew to establish the lineage of the Lord because his enemies enjoyed mocking him. In John eight forty one, they said he was the illegitimate child. Um, John eight forty one says, "Ye do the deeds of your father." Then said they to him, "We be not born of fornication. We have one Father, even God." Um, so Matthew. He's not going to go. He says he's not going to take time to go through the entire book, uh, the entire lineage. But at some point, there's great resources out there. Study the lineage out a little bit. I mean, it's it's really neat. You can go back past. Uh, where did he start with? You can go back past uh, David, and and study that on out if you want to. But it's it's really neat. There's actually. going to talk about it there was there's only i think there's two women mentioned in that lineage and there's a reason behind it so hang on it, yeah it, no it's it's okay um because we all have those women in our in our in our in our lineage but we'll, we'll talk about it in a minute um glad you spotted that um All right, so we're going to look at the very first sentence there, verse 1. It says, The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Jesus' fulfillment is the fulfillment of the two most important Old Testament covenants, the one made with David and the one made with Abraham. And he wanted to, to make four things very clear. Number one, his name is Jesus. This means Savior. Uh, or more literally, he will certainly save. That's what Jesus means. He will save. Continues to do that. I don't think. I don't know for a fact, but when this was, when Matthew wrote this, I don't know that Matthew and Mark and Luke and John um, and all the other um, apostles. I, I don't think they they knew how much salvation was going to come out of this. I think in their minds this would only last for a few years, maybe until. Their death. I don't. I don't think in their their little pea brain minds that they would have ever thought that in 2019 that Jesus was still saving. 
he's not done. He just keeps saving. Every day you hear, or every Sunday at least, you hear about salvation. You hear about people being saved by his good grace. And that, that's he's doing what his name says it would be. It's saving. He is the Savior. Um, the second thing, his title is Christ, which means he was an, the anointed one, the one qualified for the task of saving sinners. In Hebrew, the word is Messiah. So he is the Messiah. He is that anointed one. The third thing he wrote is um, he is the son of David. And Matthew listed David before Abraham, even though Abraham came first in history. In fact, I, uh, Matthew wrote David's name five times in the genealogy. Why did he do that? Because the first and first and foremost, Jesus Christ is a direct descendant of King David and therefore qualified to be the eternal king. In uh, Matthew twenty-two forty-one, Jesus asked his enemies a question so that they would state clearly what was coming, what was becoming very evident. Jesus' question right here says, What think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? They say unto him, The son of David. Jesus Christ is the supreme sovereign descendant from David. He is. There is no other. He is the one. He is the one God picked to be our Savior, to be that descendant. And the fourth thing, he is the son of Abraham. That means that Jesus was Jewish. Abraham was promised that through his bloodline would come the fourth would come forth someone who would bless all nations. That's Genesis twenty two eighteen. It says, "And in thy seed shall all nations of the earth be blessed, because thou thou hast obeyed my voice." Um, if you read the genealogy carefully, you would find three types of people from the branches in Jesus's family tree. Um, the faithful, the failures, and the forgotten. Uh, and I wanted to let people know, this is Matthew talking, uh, I wanted to let people know right from the beginning that there is a place for everyone in God's family, whether you're, you're religious or irreligious or even rebellious. Jesus came for the faithful, the failures, and the forgotten. Um, and that goes back to the women that are written in the first little part there. Um, they would be considered the failures. Um, you go back and you read about them they're not the most prominent women in in Jesus' lineage <laughs> they're not the, the most well behaved women what's that old saying about women well behaved women rarely make history is that right I'm pretty sure that I, one of the girls that used to work for me had a sign in her office I think that's what it said well behaved women rarely make history they made history they made the bible <laughs> so that's pretty good um I've got more on those. Evidently, I didn't put it in here, um, but I'll get it because he actually breaks down those the women that are in it and why they're in it and more about their their history. But I'll see if I can I'll bring it back in and come back. Um, so just remember that the faithful, the failures, and the forgotten that there's room on in Jesus' family tree for for all of those and for our our trees as well because we all got them. All right, the birth of the Messiah. After focusing on the ancestry, I move to an account, yeah, to an account of his infancy. Uh, this is how the birth of the Messiah came about. We all know Mary was about 14, engaged to Mary Joseph, who was a little bit older. Uh, marriages were arranged by the parents, um, and once the couple was engaged, it, it was legally the same thing as marriage, except they did not live together, and many times hardly even spoke until the wedding. They certainly would not 
be intimate with each other. When it was discovered that Mary was pregnant, the whole town started wanting and talking. Um, when Joseph found out, he was really mad, but he was very sad also. How could she do this to him? He was embarrassed and humiliated and wanted to just climb into a hole somewhere. All hope was dashed. He could had had her stoned to death, but instead, because he was a righteous man, he decided to break off the engagement quickly and quietly so as to not cause any more pain. But in the middle of the night, as he tossed and turned, an angel appeared to him in a dream and said, this is verse 20 and 21, But while he thought on these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. When Joseph awoke, when he woke up, he told Mary the wedding was back on, and they immediately got married. And that's paraphrasing the other stuff in Matthew. Um, supposedly speaking, um, so that they moved on. He went on. Yes. I think it happened when they moved on, when they went to, but I think it all happened after Jesus. Is that right? Have you, there's a part in there, I believe it happened somewhere, was it in Bethlehem? I think that's on here. I believe so. Maybe it is. Because they don't talk about a wedding or anything like that. It's just, but they moved off, so they had to get a priest at some point. The first part of it, this being the engagement. Yeah. always prearranged that the, the, the families usually knew each other and prearranged and they usually from my knowledge they tried to keep them around the same age so if they're born in within a year or two of each other now Mary was roughly 14 and I know Joseph was a lot older and Joseph had more than one young one right? but we know Jesus wasn't his but uh, so it's prearranged I don't know if Joseph's other wife I don't know if I don't know when the others came about. No, I'm sorry. Mary had more young ones, not Joseph, because I think you don't. We don't read about Joseph after after this. It's over with. We don't, we don't know when he died, but we know Mary got remarried. I guess, and she keeps she had more 
Jeep had more assets. Um, so it's free range. The, the family got together, married. We're going to marry Joseph and whenever, you know, in a few years, whatever. And then they kind of split and went their own ways. When he took her, when he took her out, um, where's that? When he took her out, um, I would say when they when they left, when they went to marry, when she went to marry, they had to do it in that time frame. They had to have a priest. Not not anybody was going to marry him. There was no justice of the peace. I think when he refers to her husband, is he's trying to clarify. I don't think it was saying he was the husband right it then. Was, it was later it on. It was later on. But, but it was considered for some time. It was. He was never it, married. It probably was all, it was considered before they got married. Had to be. Yeah. Had, they had to go to the, pr- the priest to do it yeah. in Jewish times. And then when they were younger, grown up and they became yep. Romanized. Romanized. <laughs> it is. I don't know what they wouldn't have killed Mary at some point if it hadn't been a legal when a legal ceremony somewhere in there in that six months so it had to happen is it is it Jew, well <laughs> when you say the Jews is it the Bible scholars that what, what we thought what we said hey this is an established Christianity is that accurate I think I may have said this oh you weren't here Sunday sorry this is where I said Sunday the Bible's not about his birth about his death and resurrection so nobody really focused on his birth I think it's an important part yes but it's not as important as that resurrection I mean it's important because he was conceived by the Holy Spirit that's the important part but nobody took the time and of all the people you thought Luke would have documented more of this stuff being the doctor that he was you thought he'd been more and he is detailed but it's just the birth part it's not that section in there we're all trying to figure out when they get married and, and I All this stuff, I'm, I'd say, was probably written after Joseph's death, honestly. So it was probably easy to write it when he wasn't around. And you know, Luke, uh, Luke has some historical information. Yeah. Each individual person who had some history and some ancient notes and meanings to it. So. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know, Jerry, I couldn't tell you. I mean, there's, there is rhyme and reason to, to the marriage, the way it's set up. They were betrothed, they, you know, they were set aside. Is, is it? 
I'm sure it's, I'm not going to say it's I mean, not important. I'm not saying if they did it before and they only knew it because that not one of these people had lived to know the Lord. Well, I don't know what they left before they get, got into uh, Jerusalem or whatever it was. And I'm not saying that they did it. It was just a question that popped in my mind. <laughs> uh, we're not going to read the chapter 2, but I'm going to hit on the... Uh, the uh, the part of the Christmas story that really rubs me the wrong way, and it's the the wise men. We're gonna talk about it real fast because it's pretty detailed in here, and I like how he put it on here. He calls it the worship of the wise men or the wise guys. He calls it the worship of the wise guys from the very beginning of God's plan uh, has been for the redemption of people from their countries as well. I'm the only writer that mentioned the story of the Magi who came from uh, what you know as modern-day Iraq. I understand there are a lot of problems there today. Uh, we're introduced to these uh, mysterious men in the opening verse of the second chapter of my gospel. Uh, and this is the opening part here. It says, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. Um, Matthew says, I'm not quite sure how you're going to take this, but many of your nativity scenes get this wrong each year. Uh, Yes, they do. These wise men showed up way after the birth of Jesus, probably up to two years later. These men finally found Jesus, who is now a toddler, in a house, not a stable. And I don't, I don't fuss about it too much with the kids. I, I know it's part of the nativity, that's part, and that's, that's fine. That's fine. Um, but it's just not biblically correct. Um, I would never bust their bubbles out there for what they're doing. It's just one of those things. They came. They found him. That's what matters. They found him. They just put him down and yeah, it it was hard. It, I think it's hard. Well, I mean, yeah, there's no... You, you have to know... You have to know who the king was. You have to do a lot of research, you know, to figure out. And you can't even pinpoint it because nobody knows exactly how old Jesus was. When, they, when The wise men, not three, but when the wise men got there, the Magi got there, two, two and a half, three, four, they don't really know, but... We, we won't do it. We're not, I'm, not gonna, I'm not harping on that. Um, these professionals, he says, were brilliant, highly educated scholars who were trained in medicine, history, religion, prophecy, and astronomy. Your modern word magistrate comes from the word magi. Uh, these men thought deeply about life, so it certainly makes sense to call them wise men. Since I'm correcting your Christmas confusion, there's also no evidence that there were three of them or that they rode a camel. We need to tell Ron Green. I'm going I'm to break his heart. Uh, we know there were three gifts, but we don't know if there were just three guys. It's more likely they traveled in a caravan, not a Dodge, he says, with an entire entourage of attendants. And that's the way that I've studied it is we know there's more than three. They had three gifts, but there's more than likely 
several dozens that, that showed up that traveled together. These men were also trained in astrology. Back then, astrology was connected with people's search for God. The ancients studied the skies in order to find answers to the, que- the great questions of life, questions like, who am I, why am I here, where am I going, things people are still asking today. Uh, he said, I'd like to also point out that these highly influential men served as advisors to the king. While they were not kings themselves, and I know that messes that song up. We three kings messed that up too. But it would not be far from the truth to call them kingmakers or kings. Uh, what possibly could have motivated them to take on a treacherous journey like this? There's only one answer to the question. They came to see the king. They left their kings to see the king. The one true king. And um, I cannot imagine what kind of little feller they found in there. We've all been around two-year-olds, three-year-olds. Can you imagine these men coming in decked out like they was with all their little bells and jingly things and Jesus running up and he probably pulled the bells off the robes and I don't know, he may have crushed a crown or two, I don't know. But he, um, they, they left their comfort zone. They left their king to find the one king. Because they all come from different kings. They had several kings. They could have been dozens of kingdoms that they came from to find the one king. You know, that, that says a lot about these men. They wasn't, I, I don't know how to say it. They wasn't looking for nothing. They, they knew that there was something out there. I, I, believe, I believe they were drawn. I believe, I really truly believe that the Holy Spirit drew them to find Jesus. Yeah, they followed that star. We know that. But I feel like that, that there was something inside of them. I feel like it was probably the Holy Spirit that led them. Because that's how we found the king, is being drawn by the Holy Spirit. And I, I think that's how they, were, they found the king, because that he drew them there. Uh, after being with Jesus for over three years, this is Matthew talking again, and doing research on his birth, I saw time and again how people bowed before him, collapsing and hitting the ground. Now listen to what Matthew wrote in 2.11. Uh, and when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. I love that. When they found Jesus with his mama, they hit the ground and they worshipped him. They knew. They knew who it was. He possessed more royalty in a cradle than Herod had in a palace. Um, somehow these sincere seekers saw beyond the present and into the future and in deep faith they worshipped him that word literally means to kiss toward and to intensely adore they somehow knew that this child would one day rule the world and they were not ashamed to fall on their face before him and that reminds us of what John said in Revelation 117 and when I saw him I fell at his face as dead and he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. All right, last part here. It was talking about the gifts, and we'll be done. Um, almost everyone is aware of these wise guys brought gifts to King Jesus. Uh, by the way, your tradition of giving gifts at Christmas did not come from Santa Claus. It came from these guys. Um, he said, I wonder if they know what these presents really portrayed. Um, and when they opened their treasures, it says they presented gifts to him of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Back in culture Christ was born in, the culture he was born in, 
bringing gifts was uh, particularly important when approaching a superior. But they also knew. They knew who he was. They knew that he was the Messiah. They knew he was the king. They brought gifts. You're not going to randomly go up to a two-year-old and give gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Last thing I'm going to do is give a two-year-old a bunch of gold. It ain't going to happen. You just don't do that stuff. So they knew who he was before they even left their, their kingdoms or wherever they was at. They, they brought that with them knowing that they were going to find the king. Now, he, he broke down these three things. Um, gold is one of the most rare and expensive metals. It represented the wealth and power of a king. Frankincense was used in the temple worship of the Lord. It represents the child's deity. He is truly God born in human God in, in human body. Sorry. And then the myrrh. This is the one that gets me. Uh, the myrrh, a kind of perfume made from the leaves of a rose. After a person died, myrrh was used to anoint the body and prepare it for burial. Uh, he says that John wrote in John 1939, uh, it tells us that after Jesus died, his body was wrapped in linen among, along with myrrh and other spices. The gift of myrrh then pictures his suffering and death. So that myrrh is always the one, when I read that, I always, I skip, I go straight from his birth right to his death. Because, and I, I may have said this earlier, but I, I know I talked about the linen that Jesus was wrapped in when he was born. But I also wonder about that myrrh. Did they anoint his body with the myrrh that the Magi brought him? Did Mary hang on to that stuff for 33 and a half years? Well, 31 years. I mean, really think about it. That's just something else to make you real think. Did she hang on? Or did she use it for justice when he died? Hmm? So that's just something to make you think. But that's kind of morbid to show up to a, a two-year-old's house with embalming stuff. That's just well, not normal. When you think, you know, you're like, well, what the heck? I don't know what that looked like or whatever it is. You know, it looked like pigment to me. You know those? Yeah. Thousands and thousands of years ago. You know, it looked like pigment. You know? Yeah. And the same way with this earth. Yeah. They, he was fulfilling prophecy. So they knew that the prophecy had been fulfilled with his birth. They knew the rest of the prophecy, too. Right. They knew he was going to die. But still, I just wonder, did Mary hang on to it? I don't know. Um, so I'm going to finish it up with this. Gold pointed to his majesty for his king. Frankincense pointed to his deity, for he is God. And myrrh pointed to his humanity, for he was uh, destined to be our sacrifice. And then he asked the question, did the Magi understand all of this? Maybe. But God arranged it so that their gifts to the king would point to us, point us to who Jesus really is and why he came. So I, I feel like, I, I'm agree with you on that one, that they knew that prophecy. They knew, they wouldn't win if they didn't know the prophecy. I don't think these Magi, they would have left their, wherever they're from for just any old kid. They knew who it was, and they prepared the worship. Can you imagine traveling for two, two and a half, three years, however long it was, having that much time to spend with fellow believers in, in the prophecy and that's that's about three years building up a, somebody's gonna shout when they get there you know they they hit the ground like like you said there in, in john or when john wrote that revelation that they fell on their face as dead i don't know
I don't, this is, this is only my opinion, and it's, I don't believe they were Jewish because of um, using astronomy and chemistry. All the, all the things that they were doing was not of God. Magic. <laughs> and the, the Jews didn't believe in that stuff, that magic. So I, I don't know. I, part of me says no, but I believe they believed when they got done. Um, or they may, have, they may have got converted at his birth. You know, they may have been some of the first Christians. One thing that really really surprised me, I don't know where he came from. He did. What is They probably thought they were in the wilderness. <laughs> it took so long. They've grown. I really believe they've grown. And I forget the mileage. Um, if I can remember, I'll, I'll bring it. I forgot the mileage from, I think they've just done it from like the middle of Iraq or Iran to Bethlehem or something like that. I forget what the mileage. But I mean, they, they, they walked that. They might have rode something, but more than likely they had on foot. And that was, that's a, a long peak. Far yonder, they come from far. Supposedly they're firefighters, but I don't believe that. <laughs> Tommy, will you dismiss us, please? <laughs>